Hello, Internet, and welcome to another kind of episode of the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. Issue 4, Web of Spider-Man Volume 2. This is the Mysterio issue. So let's just start off. Fred Van Lente writing, Barry Kitts an artist, Jeremy Cox color art, and Joe Caramongo letterer. So that's all there and good. Then our backup story that we'll be getting to, but I don't want to jump back for the credits to, is Hammerhead in Western Promises with Frank Thierry writing, Eric Cante as artist, Andres Mosson color, and Jared K. Fletcher lettering. So yeah, this Mysterio story. And I, you know, I was jumping into this cold. I hadn't read this web of issue and this jumps back it technically predates his first appearance in amazing so we're, we're getting some background on quinn here which is fun and also does a lot i think to build the character in an interesting way so let's step through it uh, it has this beautiful splash page to start it off with with bringing in a bit of the steve ditko art and Quentin Mysterio here is kind of prodding his friend. Uh, and, and his friend is also kind of his mentor in the special effects area, where his mentor did this old horror special in the way that TV used to work, you know, when it would have been relevant for characters of this age. And they're kind of prodding back and forth, and they're talking about this upcoming of the Marvels, you know, the, the superheroes, people with all these powers, and Quentin's saying, it's a sham, you know, made for people who believe the, the moon hoax. So we get a lot in the character here that's uh, just a little bit scummy, but also makes so much more sense for the day. He's a special effects artist, so he believe he, he's looking for deception everywhere and when he sees something you know on a screen he doesn't necessarily believe it's real i i really like that character trait for him in this story here uh and he's talking about his mentor and all of these great works that he's done and he talks about this one demon and how it descended in one of the movies he said i was never able to figure out how you di did that you know how do you do that and, the, the mentor talks about, you know, not giving up his secrets. We've been friends long enough for you to know I wouldn't do such a thing. And then Quentin <laughs> takes on his Mysterio guys and talks about all these tools he's been crafting so that he can play the part of Spider-Man to somewhat impersonate him, which plays into his first appearance. 
And in doing so, he finds all these contraptions and ideas and holograms uh, in looking through his mentor's area because, of course, all this is there and it's part of his sets. And Mysterio's, you know, looking for something. Then he sees the demon from that special. But it's interesting because when we get the glimpse of the special before, as it would have been, it's in black and white, maybe a little bit grainy. And then it's fully realized here in color. It looks just a little bit different even. And uh, Mysterio is able to kind of deal with it and is able to pull a uh, contraption and somewhat funnily enough, using a web gun to slightly ensnare the monster for a moment. And, and the tool that he uses was this uh, giant, I don't know if it's a canapult or trebuchet, a, a, basically an oversized crossbow that would be used as artillery, not man-to-man. -man. So, you know, like the sort of thing you'd fire at a building. And that plunges the arrow into this demon that then kind of dissipates. And Mysterio's laughing, saying, Haha, I, I beat it, you know, and, and is saying Ray, who is his mentor. Another illusion. Good. One of the best. But now I don't need you anymore. I am the mentor. Basically, what he's looking for is kind of validation to say he's the best over those who he had learned from. He's looking to kind of claim his adulthood or his ownership of the craft in a way. And in that, I kind of like it. So even some of the kind of scummier things he's doing here is it airs more on the side of mischievous than straight villainy. And is it a mistake? Sure. But it's the level of mistake and the kind of origin that we expect even from heroes in our day. So, you know, I mean, like, Spider-Man does something scummier in his origin, or, you know, the Runaways, there's there's more uh, ill intent there. Here, he's just kind of looking to figure out how this thing was done by the guy who won't tell him by ransacking his place. And when he gassed him, he wakes up. But when Ray, the mentor, wakes up, it's Doctor Strange conjoling him, talking about how he had put this demon away a couple of times and he was able to take care of a few things while invisible. And Ray wanted him to meet Quentin, his advisor. And we also find out that Strange um, connected to this doctor and is giving him a little bit of special attention because the very same horror specials that Mysterio was so taken by was something that Stephen Strange uh, watched when he was going through med school and helped him get through those times. So I love this for so many reasons. We're getting a play of entertainment and how it connects to fans and people, much the way our comics do with other people, reaching to different worlds, played in a metatextual way between like these villains and Doctor Strange, which makes sense that Mysterio should have connections to Doctor Strange, maybe more so than Spider-Man based on the themes, but that's not the way things went. There's a lot about like where people end up and how they're perceived by the people they associate with, uh, you know, for good or ill at some point there like that I'm drawing upon, you know, thinking about the implications of that idea of this story kind of saying what could have been in a very subtle way in a rejoiner at the end of an 11 page story. Uh, that's kind of exciting that it went the way it did instead. So it almost makes the idea of Mysterio, who does feel more like an oddball Spider-Man villain. You know, there's no totemistic aspect. Not that all of Spider-Man's villains are totemistic, uh, despite that classic JMS story. But 
Mysterio has always felt like an oddball. And I do want to make a note here about something, not necessarily in the story, though it is Mysterio's costume. I love Mysterio's costume. And it's funny because there's other characters that have that orb look. Everybody focuses on, you know, the big fishbowl head and for good reason it's a look but there are other characters that do that um there's a weird villain that does that that i honestly can't remember the name of that we talked about once in the art attack issue of web of and uh there's a couple dc villains that have the orb head as well and most of them have the orb head and then kind of like a form-fitting costume and i just don't that doesn't work but mysterio you know the orb goes to a cape and this whole look and the gauntlets and everything it's a very well developed interesting balanced costume that's gaudy and amazing and there's nothing quite like it uh i think it's one of the stronger <laughs> uh looks in all of comics and i'm kind of always glad when he shows up just because he looks freaking cool but character moments like this really make me so much more intrigued by mysterio and what's funny is um if you look through mysterio's appearance list you know there's the first story with him obviously in early amazing and then there's a second one and then he's in the sinister six so there's technically a third story with him though he's not much of a player there that not that many characters are because that's a very fast story um and then he disappears he's mostly brought back for the bicentennial event with kind of a lead-in but it, it's really there so that they have a visual way within the story to kind of conjure uh, so many different visuals without needing to try to make a giant villain pylon story. It, it was seemingly what, what it was, at least to me. Though others have covered that story better and I could cover the story better. It deserves some time and thought, I believe. I, I think it's somewhat maligned. It's considered among some of the worst Centennial. I actually think it's some of the most fun that we get with that, though the Centennial issues by and large are, you know, big jaw-dropping hits. So maybe it is one of the worst among them, but I still think it's a quality story. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but my, my point was that in truth, you know, Mysterio was really kind of a lost and forgotten character and it's only semi more modernly. I mean, now it's a few ages back that he kind of came back into prominence and became a more regular player as a Spider-Man villain again. And sometimes, you know, other characters, Daredevil and whatnot. So I, I think he's a great villain and whenever they use him, even if it's not the best story, I get a bit more of a, a smile than I would when it's another villain. So there we go. And this, this appearance was no different for that. Now, in the back of this book, there is a Hammerhead story, which is kind of funny because all these have at least kind of like a little title card, like a, a top of the page or something. And this one, um, <laughs> there's the Spider-Girl insert that says the end for now. And then it's just Brain Breach Brooklyn, which is funny because technically we're switching uh, universes you know time lapses or everyone to look at in comics you know this is modern marvel whereas spider girl is m2 future marvel <laughs> and so we open up with not even a cup of coffee huh and hammerhead goes on about how the italians know how to do a meat and you know there's some serving some coffee water something but you russians you don't and at this point in our main continuity, Hammerhead is known as kind of uh, the lieutenant or lackey of 
Mr. Negative at this point. He's Kingpin isn't as big of a factor at this point. It's uh, Mr. Negative is one of the big guys on the rise in the, the gang scene, uh, which I never feel gets enough uh, love because I feel like there should be more about that. Though I guess now that Daredevil and Spider-Man kind of play in similar circles, they talk more about it at times. So anyways, at this time, uh, Hammerhead's at the table and he's talking to this quote-unquote Russian whose codename is The General. And I have no idea if this is a known character outside of the story, but it's all great here. Uh, Mr. Negative needs The General to kind of go away because he's bringing a lot of attention to some things, and Mr. Negative's very secretive and doesn't want attention on certain things. So there you go. Hammerhead has his job, but as it turns out, the, uh, the general long ago uh, moved some people around and moved their families to like America away from other countries as a KGB member dealing with various things in Europe that isn't super well uh, highlighted here. Um, it goes into a bit, but basically Hammerhead's dad was one of these people, so Hammerhead himself got moved because of this guy's actions to not necessarily just cap him, but move him. And so now Hammerhead's trying to repay the favor, but this general guy's kind of like, you know, why would I listen to you? you? know, Why would I do any of this? And Hammerhead's saying, look, you could take this as a threat or an invitation. I don't want to have to kill you. What I'd rather have is a partner who's well-rested when I'm ready to take a little control. And you see this power play. Here's Hammerhead playing the long game, planning to get atop of, you know, the, this mob circuit. And it's great to me, especially in a Marvel story, to see this kind of thing, because too often intelligence and smarts isn't something that's readable. It's Reed Richards inventing some nonsensical doodad, or someone hacking a computer in a few panels, or, oh, I planned ahead for this movement, so when you go to tactically do this thing, Cyclops turns around and blasts a laser seemingly from nowhere because he thought ahead to tactically plan ahead for it, or Captain America throws the shield, same idea. Here is an intelligence and a look forward at a plot in a B-book where if you don't have the story, it could be summed up very quickly, but the emotional resonance wouldn't be there, but if you've read it, there's a little bit more, and it carries forward for another story, but it also showcases the intelligence of a character that's normally simply thought of as nothing more than just a thug, but is showcasing why Hammerhead is as dangerous as he continues to be, because he's able to make these smart plays when he's given an opportunity, even right under the noses of the people he's working for and the people he's working to get ahead of. So yeah, there's a lot in this little issue to, to love. I also want to note that this issue is really the first with a web mail, you know, a, a letters page. And what was interesting isn't so much one of the letters, but actually a theme across the letters printed in that the people reading this book, or the people who wrote in anyways, you know, based on what we see, are people who are longtime Spider-Man fans. They're talking about comics that were published forever before uh, this comic, and also is the earliest instance I can think of in a letters column where someone talks about a tweet they saw um, in reference to, you know, the marketing of this book. And it was just, it's just kind of funny because, you know, this was part of the gauntlet now is forever ago, but it was really kind of 
Part of the reason I guess Kane and I never really thought of this series or anything from this era as, you know, older Spider-Man despite being decade old is because it's so much part of kind of the current moment of comics we're in, social media influencing it, um, you know, people reaching back to older comics now, whether or not they're older or younger, because the access is there. And one of the more interesting things seeing comics as we move forward is, especially with the superhero stuff, uh, people's ability to reach back and read these older things means you don't have to assume the new comics are someone's first comics normally, and you can actually assume them to have a passable familiarity with a number of the characters and events that you wouldn't have before, which I believe has allowed comics to be a lot stronger than a lot of the more forgotten stories in, say, like the 70s, 80s, or 90s. Not that there weren't ever good stories across three decades, of course not, but I, I feel like you know, when you're, you're thinking about Spider-Man stories in the 70s, there's good stuff, but none of it is quite as iconic. Um, and of course, the most current stuff is always going to be brought forward into mind. So, I don't know, just a lot of interesting passing thoughts and intersections with things. Uh, th this got my brain going, which is why this episode is twice as long as the last one. Huh, cool. Well, <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed, and I'll be back soon with issue five.